So if I could go back in time, I would have changed the title of this from The Rich Fool to I Pity the Fool. Only you older people get that. But it's too late for that. So grab your Bibles, head over to Luke chapter 12 today. Uh, start heading that way. And I, we're going to be talking about coveting today, right? It's a, a word we don't use very often. Um, we, we don't tend to think much about coveting or, or greed, which is another word for that in our, our day. Uh, and when we do it all, we, we tend to think, well, that must be a problem for crazy rich people, right? I can't possibly have that concern. Or, or maybe, you, you know, coveting is one of the Ten Commandments. You know that much. But uh, really, when you get down to, down to thinking about it too deeply, you realize, you know, well, technically, it's the last one, right? Uh, so if Jesus had tried to make nine commandments, then this wouldn't even be a commandment. So it can't be that important, right? It's right on the edge there. Uh, or, or even in Exodus 20, right, when we go and we learn about it, the, the, the Ten Commandments there, coveting there, uh, we learn, right, what are the things that it lists that we shouldn't covet? It talks about not coveting your neighbor's house, not coveting your neighbor's wife, uh, his servants, or his donkey, right? We, these are things that are a little more difficult to even think about relating to. I can honestly say never in my life have I ever coveted my neighbor's donkey. Not once. Not even a temptation. I, I deal with it all. No donkeys. Um, it's also especially easy to, to think little of coveting because if we're honest, our economy is, is nearly based upon coveting, right? It's, it's pretty much based on driving us to some sense of, of discontentment so that we will purchase something, uh, a longing for some product, some service, something that we don't have that we feel we either need or, or we deserve on some level. And, and all this, I, I tell you this, right, because I don't want us to, to push this off. I don't want us to make little of the temptation of coveting as if it's not for us, it's for somebody else. But particularly because our Lord Jesus today is, is warning us, he's warning his disciples about our tendency to covet, right? Our tendency towards greed. And, and he's quite serious about it. And so uh, we're going to go ahead and read the passage, right? Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 13. We're going to read through the whole bit today. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are gathered in a new location, but you and your word remain the same. And we're asking you this morning to, to change us by your word and the power of the Spirit. We're asking you to, to bring our lives more and more into line with who you are making us to be in Christ. Yes, Lord, enlighten our minds and, and make our hearts fertile ground for your word this day. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. Well, years ago, when my grandmother passed away, she left a large sum of money to her son and to her three daughters. Uh, And yet disputes began to arise really quickly as they all gathered together for her funeral. Uh, The idea was was they were disputing this. Was it fair that it was divided evenly since some of them, some of the daughters had received some help uh, before my grandmother had died and shouldn't that be included in their inheritance? And that became this this huge dispute. And they also argued about little trinkets around the house and possession. Who's going to get this and who's going to get that and what's the value of this and that? And it became this absolute nightmare to the point that uh, some of the daughters wouldn't even speak to each other for years and years afterwards. Sadly, you've probably experienced something like that yourself or seen the stories or heard similar stories. And, and this is the thing. These inheritance disputes, are, they're nothing new, right? They're, they're not rare like we wish they were. And in fact, they even existed in ancient Israel. That's what we're seeing here. Now, now the man's making a reference to Deuteronomy 21.17 where, where these rules are established for here's how inheritance should go. And, and the rule said that, uh, that it teaches that the firstborn was to receive twice as much as any of the other younger brothers. And yet, sometimes the oldest brother, it was his responsibility to actually follow this rule and divide it properly, sometimes he wouldn't do it properly. And at that point, they could go to a rabbi, a teacher like Jesus is here, and they could go to him and say, you make the official decision, right? Uh, Set these things right. And he got to kind of be a judge in that way. So, So that's what this man is asking Jesus to do, right? When he shows up and he's saying, tell my no good you know, selfish brother to give me my inheritance, what belongs to me. And Jesus kind of unexpectedly responds there saying, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? Right? That, that man sounds weird to me. I don't, every time I hear that, I almost hear it. If, you know, if he were an American, he'd be saying, dude, not a chance would, would be the way we translate that in our, our, our modern vernacular. Uh, the, the fact that Jesus asked here though, right? Who, who made me judge? That surprise any of you? Kind of un- unexpected there, since, since we learned in 2 Corinthians 5.10 that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And we learn in John 5.22, right, tells us that God the Father has given all judgment to Jesus. And we learn in John 9.39 that Jesus says, for judgment, I came into this world. It sounds weird because we, we know, you know, we just know enough about Jesus. You know, he's the ultimate judge. Who else is better qualified for judging in this moment, but, but Jesus is on a different mission at this point. He, he's not in that role at this point. And so Jesus refuses to preside over this particular civil claim. Um, furthermore, Jesus will not, will, will not do what this man is actually demanding, right? If you look closer, it's not a question, it's a demand he makes. And he's not going to do it because, well, he's Jesus. And Jesus knows the heart of this man. Jesus perceives that this man doesn't actually need this money. What what this man needs is actually a a change of relationship to money. That's what he needs. And so that's why Jesus doesn't wait for the man to give an answer. Instead, in verse 15, you got it there in front of you, look at that. Jesus says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And so he's saying it to this man, and he's saying it to the crowd, and the point is, this is, this is a statement for his disciples, all of his disciples. This is a warning to us about covetousness. That's why it's a big deal. So that big word I keep using, covetousness, some of you kids are probably still wondering what that means at this point. Uh, it means to have a strong desire 
to possess more, right? Uh, or a desire to own something that does not belong to you, that is not yours. It's this insatiable desire to obtain more of the world, is the way one Puritan put it. Uh, the Greek word for covetousness has to do with excess. More than you even need is the idea there, which is why it's so often translated as the word greed here. If It's that need for more. It's like Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 5.10, Um, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. There's always that need for more and more and more. And it's not just money, is it? We can become greedy. We can become covetous in in the most unexpected things. Uh, I'll I'll tell you, a few weeks back, not weeks, months back, actually, uh, we had an extra Chick-fil-A sauce. You ever get an extra one at the end? And I know there's a basket you can go stick it in, but I decided I'm going to take this thing home because I'm going to dip my own nuggets or something into this at home. And it was this wonderful idea that I'm going to have it at home. It's a great plan. But, but then I started to take more and more home. Every time we were there, I'd get a little bit more. And I started having this, this pile, and it outgrew the section where Laura gave me. Uh, and so next thing I know, there's a drawer in my desk starting to be filled with Chick-fil-A sauce. And, and to be honest, when our kids were using this stuff, I would kind of be annoyed because my stash is now going down rather than up, which is the way it was supposed to be going. And, and it was this kind of frustrating thing to me uh, because I wanted a big enough stash just in case. Like, I don't know. Y2K? Something's going to happen, right? <laughs> you laugh. It might happen. Uh, just kidding. I'm not a Y2Ker. And, and I would actually get concerned about it, right? So, because I wanted more. Anyway, so now lest you think this is the only thing I covet, understand, I, I'm telling you this story, but, but it tells you the tendency of my heart. I think the tendency of all of our hearts to easily get sucked in to, to covetousness in some of the most uh, obscure things, things that we don't even think about as valuable, and so it's easy to write them off as not, covet, uh, not coveting. See, at the, at the core, every greedy thought we have grows from this lack of contentment, right? I'm not content with what I have. Even think back to the garden, right? Adam and Eve are in the garden, and and where's Jesus placed there? Where's God put him? He puts him in paradise, an absolute paradise in the garden, and they become become discontent, and they, they begin to covet, right? They begin to want something that doesn't belong to them. They begin to want literally the only object in the entire place, right? The only object that has not already been given to them. And then in that discontentment, they covet and they disobey the Lord uh, and they sin against God. And that's the fall of man, right? It all begins with this coveting or discontentment even. And so then our, our text here, Jesus tells this parable, right? You know, a parable is just an earthly story that has a heavenly meaning. And he tells this story. And, and the story goes like this. There's, there's a guy who is already rich whose fields produce a massive harvest, and he has run out of barn space to store it, right? That's a big problem. Where am I going to put all my grain? And, and so he tears down his barns, and he builds bigger barns in their place so that all his grain can fit into it. And let's be honest, that, that, that's about as American as can be right there. That is a mindset that we, we totally understand because we have an entire industry built around this, right? The personal storage units you see all over the place. My house cannot fit my stuff, and so I need more room somewhere else. Now, to be fair, I, I hope to fill one with Chick-fil-A sauce one day, and I might share that with you. Um, really, though, how many of you are, are still thinking, as you hear this man's plan, that, that actually sounds like a pretty decent plan? What, what's wrong with this? 
I mean, isn't that what, what Joseph told Pharaoh to do when, 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 the, when the famine was going to be coming, really? And, and it's not like that. It's not like that at all because that wasn't for one individual, was it? That was for an entire nation to, to provide for. That, that was a work of the Lord that he would, he would be able to sustain a, a remnant of his people through that difficult time. And, and did you notice here in verse 16 that, that the way it's worded, verse 16 is worded in such a way that we know that this man didn't even gain this, this massive harvest because of hard work or skill or anything of that nature. It, it just tells us simply that the, the land produced more, which is telling us that, that the Lord made it plentiful. It, it's a gift of God, and yet he never even mentions God at any point in this. You, you see that, that strong sense of ownership, in fact, in the way he talks about it, right? Not, not ownership, but, or not stewardship, but ownership, right? Um, and we'll come back to that later. But verse 17 and 18 there, he says, my crops, right? My barns, my grain, my goods. That is an ownership, not a stewardship word right there. In short, he's being greedy and he wants all that God has given him for himself. This is for me and my future and my relaxing and all those wonderful things that he plans to do with it. See, one reason that our, our covetousness is, is so terrible is, is that it denies the sufficiency of God's provision for us. And, and it makes us also all too comfortable neglecting the needs of others because we just think this, this money is mine. So it's for me to be spent on things that I want, right? Uh, of that nature. His massive wealth, in fact, here is, is not the problem for this man at all. But, but this man should have been figuring out a way to, to give it away, a way to share it, a way to use it in, in some way other than just hoarding it for himself. Uh, St. Augustine said this. He said, the bellies of the poor would be much safer storerooms than his barns. And the rich man then concludes in verse 19, quite satisfied, you can imagine, in his tone. I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry, right? You, you've made it in the shade. You, you're, you're ready to go for years and years to come. You know, we, we talk about what it means to be resting in Christ and finding our satisfaction in Christ. It's very clear that this rich man in the parable is not resting in Christ. He's, he's resting in his wealth, right? That's, that's where he sees his future. That's where he sees his hope. It's, it's, it's what we call YOLO today in a lot of ways, right? It's that, that secular way of, of life that, that, that kind of just imagines this is all it is, right? Relax and eat and drink and be happy because your future is secure and, and, and the funds in your, your retirement fund or the funds that you have in your bank account or, or something of that nature. Only there is that phrase in verse 19, and we find this phrase all over the scriptures, right? And sometimes it's in ways that we see as positive and sometimes we're, we're seeing it in negative. You see it there in verse 19, what I'm talking about? But God, but God. It, when we see that phrase anywhere in the scripture, you know massive changes are coming about that are, you know, the work of the Lord in particular. In this case, the, the man has plans for the future. Here's, here's what I'm gonna do, right? Relax and whatnot. But God has other plans and God says, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. That phrase should give us chills, right? Because here's this man with all his plans to enjoy all that he's collected, and the grave just opens like a jaw and swallows the rich fool, leaving behind his overstuffed barns. It's, it's a tragic story. 
And Jesus labels this man a fool because he's been collecting wealth, uh, right? Thinking that's going to bring joy, that's going to bring hope and joy to his soul. And the man couldn't be more wrong, and that's why he's a fool. In fact, it's not just that he dies the next day. The man was a fool even if he had died 50 years later because he he wasn't acknowledging God. He he didn't honor God in any way. He's he's like Psalm 14.1 tells us, you know, the, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And everything about this man's life, that, that's what's being lived out, right? There, that's the fool saying in his heart, there is no God. And Jesus asked him, whose barns, whose grain, whose, whose goods have you now collected? And the unspoken answer here is, well, not yours. They don't belong to this man. They'll belong to somebody else. And, and so how do you and I know if we're greedy, if we're, we're coveting? Because I'll tell you, until reading this, I never even considered my Chick-fil-A obsession as coveting. And I'm imagining how many, like, real or deeper things in my life am I not aware of are are some form of coveting. Uh, The Puritan Thomas Watson said, We know we're being covetous when we start to believe if we only had such and such, then we would be happy. If I only had that new car, that new phone, this house, this even this position in my job, whatever it might be, then, then I would be happy. But not until then. Uh, Watson also goes on to say this. He says, blessedness, now this is spoken like a Puritan, right? So you got to listen to this real closely. Blessedness, that's like happiness, does not lie in the acquisition of worldly things. That's easy. This is the part that's really Puritan. Happiness cannot, by any art of chemistry, be extracted there. Okay? It is foolish to expect happiness, that true contentment, can come out of this collecting of stuff, out of possessions, right? Um, and that's why every real-life example that you know of, uh, of the rich fool in your life that you've ever witnessed, is, is just a tragic, heartbreaking story. Um, so then in verse 21, that Jesus says in reference to being a fool, he says, So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. We become fools when when we live as though this world were were a permanent, as if this were everything, as if this is where we had to try to find our ultimate joy. Now, now listen, the the world that God has created, right? You go out those doors, you go explore across the globe, and the world that we live in and God created is wonderful. It is amazing. There is so much wonder out there, but, but it's not our ultimate home. It, it's more like, like you're, you're, you're staying in, in maybe the most amazing hotel you, you've ever seen, right? And, and say this, you know, say you're, you're staying in a hotel in Cancun and it's splendid, it's amazing. It, it would still be so incredibly foolish, wouldn't it, to, to spend your time collecting stuff from around the hotel that you're just going to drag back to your room, right? You're getting potted plants from the lobby and you're dragging it back to your thing. You, you see the, the, the maid's cart in the room and you collect all the little soaps and that kind of stuff. You, you bring a chair from the business center or maybe even drag a treadmill up from, the, from the, the gym and it's all going into your hotel room and you've just been spending your entire week dragging the stuff around the hotel back to your room. Um, but that's not the reason you're in the hotel, is it? The whole point when you stay someplace is for something else, to, to go explore, to, to, to have a place to stay while you're doing something else in that town. 
You know, you, you should be taking in Cancun, not collecting stuff. Especially knowing that you're going to check out on Monday and none of that stuff can come with you. It can't. And so instead of being fools, Jesus tells us to be rich towards God. It's a, a vague statement in some regard. Rich towards God. We are rich towards God when His glory is our highest goal. When, when worship is our, our deepest joy. When fellowship with Him is our greatest satisfaction. We are rich towards God when we offer all of our abilities for His work. We are rich towards God when we take the time to serve people in need and give a first portion of everything that the Lord gives us to His kingdom purposes. We are rich towards God when we make the needs of His poor a priority in our giving and the blessing the Lord has given to us. And when we embrace a life with margin that actually gives us some freedom to engage people, right? Loving our neighbors and such. We are rich towards God when we decide there are, there are some things that we can live without so that we will have more to give to people in need, particularly those who have never heard the gospel. And we are rich towards God when we spend our efforts, our, our, our means, our gifting for the glory of His name. And so then, how do we apply this passage to our 21st century life? Right? Because I'm, I'm guessing... With the exception of one of you, you're probably not going to be building giant barns, right? That's not even in your, your possibility of ideas here. Um, so how do we fight against this, this propensity that we, we have to be fools, right? That's why Jesus warns us. Let me suggest five ways here. First, hold dear to your salvation. Hold dear to your salvation. Treasure your salvation. Visualize your redemption, uh, your, your redemption in Christ as a possession that is greater than any other possession that you could own even, right? Anything on the planet. But worldly wealth, and this is true, understand this, worldly wealth cannot buy the forgiveness of sin. It cannot buy a place in the kingdom of God. It cannot purchase hope in the face of death. You remember Judas, right? The... The apostle who betrays the Lord, right? And when he realizes later what he does, he's so distraught about it that, that he even gives the money back that he got, his 30 pieces of silver. And, and then he went and he hung himself in so much shame. M money's not evil, okay? It's not. Money's a good thing. But, but the love of money will bring nothing but, but evil into your life. There, there is not enough wealth on this planet to purchase salvation. And, and so, so hold dear, cherish your salvation because you can't earn it and if your but if your faith is in Jesus you already possess it it's a gift of God which can't be taken from you right no thief can steal it no poverty is going to take it away from you even death cannot take your salvation away and so remember right that that grace is a lasting possession bank accounts they are not faith is a lasting possession cars and trucks they are not Redemption is a lasting possession, but your new phone is not. We, we may not, may we not be fools by, by learning to truly cherish our salvation. The second way that we learn not to be fools in our own lives here is to, to nurture a mindset of gratitude. You see, greed and ingratitude are like opposite sides of the, the same scale. As one goes up, the other goes down. Did you, and did you notice the rich man never, ever thanks God for the harvest? 
Not only does he not, you know, he never acknowledges him, so of course he doesn't. And so let's, uh, let's nurture a mindset of being thankful for, for everything that you don't deserve, but the Lord has still gifted you with. Life, a job, a wonderful friend or friends, a mother or a father, a husband, a, a wife who loves you, children, a house, a car, a, a degree you're working on, even the little things in life, like, like the fact that you live in a town where you can eat a taco lucha every day but Monday if you want to. Everything we can be grateful for. Um, discontentment and, and covetousness will, will grow in a heart that only focuses on the question, what do I not have that I want? But the fertile soil of gratitude is, is in the heart that asks, what, what wondrous gifts has the Lord blessed me with so graciously? The third way not to be a rich fool is to pursue better treasure. Jesus in Matthew 6, 19 through 21 said this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And again, there's nothing inherently wrong with being wealthy. There's nothing inherently wrong with, with seeking to increase your wealth, your prosperity, but is that your highest priority in life, right? And what do you plan to do with all that wealth? What's, what's the point of it? What are you going to do with that money? And I, I ask you that because God cares how we answer that question. Wealth is a good thing. If we can learn to not serve it and instead use it for good purposes, if we can take the wealth that God gives us and, and hold it in open hands rather than clenched fists. The, and part of pursuing a better treasure is to nurture a life of generosity, right? To, to learn to share our wealth, willing to, to spend your money on someone else. And, and that can be particularly difficult if you don't have a whole lot of expendable income. And, and I'll tell you this, the, the best way to do this, uh, you know, to not be rich like the fool in our passage here, right, is the way that we actually speak about our stuffs, our stuff. Remember, he calls it my grain, my goods, my barns, my, my, my. Consider, you know, mentally consider the money you have, God's money, that he has made you a steward over, and do so because that's a biblical view of money to begin with. It is oddly so much easier to be generous with someone else's money, right? So as you think of God's money, your money as God's money, it really helps you to be more generous. Um, so let's stop speaking about it even as my money, you know, feel free to call it God's money. Uh, I learned recently, this was an interesting statistic, uh, maybe you know this, evangelicals, evangelicals in America, right now, we are the wealthiest Christians in the history of the world, right? Thousands of years now. The wealthiest Christians in the history of the world, and, and we give less than 4% of our gross income to gospel work of any sort, uh, which is drastically different than, than previous generations. Um, something to think about. Uh, and listen, this is not a call to live in poverty, not suggesting that one bit, uh, not asking you to go home, give everything away, and, and, and just, you know, live in poverty. That's not the idea here. I'm, I'm not suggesting you don't buy what you need or even what you want at times. Don't, don't feel guilty for what you have. Feel grateful for what you have. And, and listen, I, here's where these things are tough. Sometimes we want to come to the Scriptures, and we want it just black and white, right? Tell me what I must do, and I'll do that. 
this, like so many things in the Christian life, is something that is discerned, something you have to wrestle through and really, really work through. I, I, some of you know this. I, I've really begun to love photography. I think it might be my midlife crisis, uh, which I guess is better than sports car and women, right, which tends to be some people's. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's not. But I've really struggled uh, not long ago when I, I had a fine camera. It takes pictures. It's great. Uh, and then I wanted a better one. And, and begin to kind of wrestle through that, that question, right? And internally trying to think through well, what's, what's honestly going on in my heart as I consider this purchase? Well, what's happening here? Is this, is this an object that I think if I just have this, this is going to bring me joy in life, right? All my pictures will be the most amazing photos on the planet. This is, is, is that what I'm asking this to do? Is, is this a, a wise decision in that, ro- that regard, right? And it becomes this wrestling, and that's part of the process because you're going back to the Lord, and, and you're having to tell Him about your plans, and here's what I'm thinking of buying, and, and you know, Lord, is this wise? Is, is this a wise? Give me wisdom for this decision, um, right? And what am I asking this potential product to do? And, and, and it's difficult, um, I'll tell you, I bought the camera. I did, but by the time I actually purchased it, I'd come around to where it was a very different mindset than when I set out to begin with, working through that. If you ever find yourself, or do you ever find yourself kind of depressed after you've made some purchase that you've been looking for for a long time? You kind of think, this, this will solve my problem. As soon as we get to this point, it's, it's going to be all better. Uh, you know, make your life perfect. How'd that work out for you? I, it's, it's almost that as a child, I can remember Christmas morning opening all of these gifts and things I wanted, and there was this weird emptiness by the end of the day because I thought all my dreams would come true, something like that. And it just felt this weird emptiness I couldn't make sense out of. And I've noticed that even into adulthood, some purchases can turn out that way. It didn't, it didn't live up to your dreams, didn't give you the joy you hoped to, or, or maybe you were just left empty feeling. You see, stuff, stuff can't give you joy, not, not real joy, not lasting joy. And it can't because God didn't make it so that it could. He didn't make you so that this stuff could. So if you're longing for joy, you'll, you'll find it in, in Jesus, not stuff. And so let's pursue better treasure, better treasure. Fourth, if you want to not be a rich fool, then, then pray. We're, we're called to pray for each other. And I wonder how often we actually pray along these lines, you know, to, that you pray for your, your sisters or brothers in Christ, that, you know, as, we, as they're daily wrestling with their own covetous hearts, you know, for, for, you know, to pray for us to have contentment because we're all living in this culture that, as we've already mentioned, right, breeds a longing for more stuff. So pray for each other that way. Also, pray, pray for the rich. And I, I mean that. I don't know that we tend to think of that until I, I was reading J.C. Ryle, and he said this so perfectly. He said, poverty has many disadvantages, but riches destroy far more souls than poverty. We only tend to see, like, what an amazing thing is, right? It's easy to be jealous of the rich. Pray, pray for the rich. Um, and so pray for yourself. Pray before purchases or before giving of your wealth. And, and let's pray for each other that we would not be rich fools. And five, the, the last way to cultivate is, is to, cultivate, to cultivate not being rich fools is to remember these struggles are, are why we need Jesus. Okay? Our, our victory over covetousness 
is only in Jesus. Included in the life of Jesus' holy perfection was his being completely satisfied in the Father. Furthermore, he models this. In 2 Corinthians 8, 9, we read this. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Jesus gives graciously, sacrificially of himself for us. Jesus, you know, was rich in the experience of, of glory, right? Part of the Trinity. And he becomes poor when he, when he, the incarnation, when he becomes man and dwells among us. And he did it so that you and I would become rich as our faith is in Christ, rich in heavenly treasure. And so not, not only did Jesus overcome the temptation of greed in our place for us, he has also filled us with the Holy Spirit who empowers us for the very real fight, day-to-day fight against greed, so that we might find contentment in, in the life that we live. Jesus has shown us today that covetousness then, that, that greed is a dangerous temptation, and Jesus in the gospel frees us to find satisfaction in him and all that he's provided for us and to live a life that has real, eternal meaning. I think that's one of the things that always sticks with me. There's, there's no more meaning brought to my life for anything I can purchase or own, right? The poorest person on the planet can live for the glory of Christ just, just as easily as the wealthiest person on the planet. Um, so let us seek real joy, right? Now, I just want to close by, by reading again the words of warning from our Lord Jesus. And I, I want you to, to hear this, right? This is your Lord speaking to you, giving a warning for your life, and to kind of hear it after thinking through this a little bit more. Uh, Jesus says this. He says, Be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Let us pray. Jehovah Jireh. The Lord, our provider, we are, we are rich. E- even the poorest among us are rich on the global scale. And Lord, we, we cannot be ashamed of that because we know you have graciously granted it. But we may, we may need to change how we relate to the wealth we've been given. Holy Spirit, convict and strengthen us so that we'll be a community who understands contentment and generosity or as Jesus puts it, that we would be rich towards God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.